Welcome to Antimatterpod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. That's me. Today we discuss the penultimate episode of Star Trek Discovery's second season, Such Sweet Sorrow, which is actually really hard to say out loud. <laughs> Shakespeare. What was he thinking? <laughs> uh, it's actually Such Sweet Sorrow Part 1. Oh, is it? It is. Next week is actually Such Sweet Sorrow, The Return. Too fast, too sorrowing. <laughs> too sorrowing. Something like that. That certainly ended on a cliffhanger, but, you know, we have a list. We're going to go through, we're going to go in order. So okay. I noticed that you your notes have another comparison of Michael to Alice. I, I do. You know, I was saying that, that blowing up the ship is, is such a, a Michael thing to do, you know, uh, and I was proud yes. of her. But then she starts this episode by, like, refusing to get off the ship. <laughs> and She's so contrary. <laughs> like, she's hilarious. It's like, this was your idea, Michael. <laughs> and now you're having second thoughts about how terrible it is and how it's, it's ruining your mother's legacy or something. And then she has a heart-to-heart with Pike and he sort of convinces her to come along and she says, okay, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm going to just got to say my last goodbyes. And she touches the time crystal because she just can't help herself. Well, she's very, very curious. And look, I have to admit, I was thinking about it this week after Pike's adventures last week. I would absolutely touch the time crystal. <laughs> Well, we're, we are all Alice. She, I mean, yes, yeah, so she, she touches that, that time crystal and it leads to a terrible vision. And Everybody dies. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm, we're going we're gonna to skip right to, from, the, from the beginning right to the end now. But it's interesting okay. to me that Jet has the same vision, but it's not the same vision as Pike's. It's like, I don't, you know... Time crystals are a thing that I don't feel it necessary to explain or understand. They but certainly have their own rules. It seemed that from last week's episode, you know, Tenevik was sort of implying that this time crystal was now like bonded with Pike or whatever. And so he was stuck in that vision of whatever he saw because he was taking it with him. But Michael and Jet get a completely different vision from Pike's but it's the same like they share it so maybe I don't maybe the crystal once it's bonded to a person it can show all sorts of kinds of visions and it can see the near future I, I'm more intrigued by the fact that like like you said I don't think we need to over explain time crystals in fact I'm going to try not to think about them too hard at all but <laughs> It seems like Michael thought she had changed that future, but did she? Or yeah. is this sequence of events likely to happen in many, many timelines? Is, is this Leland's goal and only an, an extremely radical change, like sending the ship to the future, is going to stop that? Yeah. You know, it's sort of like choose your own time travel trope. <laughs> like that's know, where we're at great. now and and yeah it's it's pretty interesting we, we that's where we're at my other uh my other point uh, here 
is that in Michael's vision, uh, Leland seems less Borg to me, which is is weird because he's very like automaton running around shooting people. <laughs> so <It's> that personal, <laughs> it, yeah, it just he he ha- he still seems to be Leland esque, <laughs> mm. as opposed to you know. The efficient being a drone yeah being a drone with no you know th- i think it's really just the, the fact that he says goodbye to michael it's like a board yes. would not do that they're they wouldn't seven of nine barely does for like the first season <laughs> If it turns out that I've been right all along and the Borg thing is just not even a misdirection, I just think there are only so many ways to convey a, 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 an AI possessing a humanoid person. It, but if it turns out it's not the Borg, I'm going to be so self-satisfied. Everyone <laughs> is going to be annoyed with me. I am going to be so smug. You'll be able to see my ego from the moon. I'm, I'm proud of you, and I, I will, Thank I will, uh, I will give that. I will raise you up for that. If I'm, if I'm wrong, I will, <laughs> I guess, care. accept defeat <laughs> gracefully. Maybe. Nah. I have no horse in this race. I don't actually care if it's the Borg or not. I either way, I'm fine with it being the Borg. I'm also fine with it not being the Borg. But I, I'm still like angry at that, just that one previously on from last week where <laughs> they were purposefully misdirecting. Like I really can't stand the way they play games. External to the, the not not within the episodes. Within the episodes, they don't really play these games. It's outside of them that they bought. You know. I've often had trouble with with the previously, and I don't watch them anymore because last year we saw. Uh, uh, Ash murder Hugh so many times uh, and oh, so yes. I think without being excessively critical I think whoever does the previouslys maybe needs to step back but speaking of the previouslys my brother hasn't seen this episode yet because oh, he boy. started watching it and the previously on starts with a scene and he was like I, I don't remember that episode which <laughs> what episode did I miss I don't understand what's going on and uh so I, I explained that, that that was a short trek that was not an episode, it was separate. And, uh, and so he's going to watch that before he watches the episode. But <laughs> it was funny because on Twitter people were saying, you know, boy, people who haven't seen the short treks must, must be confused. And I have proof of that. Yeah, that yeah. Absolutely, yes. That is exactly what happened. He was very confused. The Saru stuff could easily be followed without watching the short trek my flatmate didn't have a problem but uh this one is is you you miss so much of poe's personality and her dynamic with tilly and and all of the setup really yeah so it's nice that it's been incorporated because that was my favorite of the short treks and i suppose this means calypso is going to be incorporated and i guess i'll put up with it (laughs) i'm standing by my theory that the seven red bursts are caused by mud's Android duplicates in the final short trek. <laughs> okay. Mm. I, I still haven't actually seen the mud short trek because I just don't like mud. Sorry. No, that's fair. <laughs> I enjoyed it a lot. It was very fun. It was light and entertaining and inconsequential. We assume. <laughs> Probably. Probably. All right. Mm. Let's move on. Admiral Cornwell commanding the Enterprise. But I'm just, sorry, I interrupted you as I... No, I was, I was going to say we could skip to post since we were talking about her. <laughs> like, no, no, I think we're on to very important business now. Yes, okay. Admiral Cornwell, 
in the captain's chair of the Enterprise. Everybody, I was watching very closely, and there's no shot of her actually sitting in the chair. She's always just getting up or just or just getting down. down. Yeah, yeah. I feel a little cheated. You know, this is an iconic chair. It's an iconic bridge. Kirk's butt occupies hallowed ground now. So yeah, they could have they could have given me that. Just all I ask. I'm sorry to raise no. that in, in lower the tone of the conversation. I was gonna say something terrible, but I don't think I should say it. But it was getting involved. Say it. Kirk's butt and okay. <laughs> I'm, I I was just now I'm just thinking about Cat saying Kirk's butt and it's like <laughs> I already shipped them and it's this is a problem. <laughs> But, um, you know, so he's like a lieutenant now and half more than half her age. Whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think he's Tilly's he, age. He's so. mature for his age or is he? I just think they would get along really well. I actually more want her to mentor him. I think that she could be the mentor that creates the Kirk that we get. <laughs> like... I really like that idea. I like the platonic mentorship yeah. idea. That that's my that's my real uh, headcanon for their relationship is that she guides him and uh, and that's how he becomes you know compassionate and cocky at the same time. How he evolves from a stack of books with legs to a guy who can command a ship. That's right. I mean yes. somebody has to get him there, right? And Pike's busy in this universe so it, it can't I loved the Enterprise Bridge just the design and oh. the details and the integration of 60s elements with contemporary aesthetics it was fantastic absolutely they took the Enterprise Bridge as we know it from the original series and updated it into matching discovery you know, like the aesthetic of our current series and it was just it's just amazing it's beautiful i've been into the idea of a pike spin-off for a while now but somehow seeing that bridge really cemented it for me you know i think it's a good cast it's a beautiful set they obviously spent a lot of money on it so i don't know if we need like a full 13 14 episode series about pike but i would enjoy a mini series or something mm. if, if cbs wanted to throw some money at it a six episode run I can, I can yeah, imagine that. Yeah, yeah. More than that, I think you run the risk of reproducing Discovery and then you end up in 90s with 90s-style, indistinguishable, aesthetically identical series. Right. But yeah. Oversaturation. Exactly. But I would really like to see more of that whole set. Yeah. And the crew. Like, the, you know, I like the, the glimpses of Enterprise crew that we get that is like, that is, you know, it's like, it's the Enterprise crew, but it's an Enterprise crew that we've never actually spent any time with. And that's interesting to me. And apparently Yeoman Colt was credited, but didn't appear. So she might be in it next week. I don't know. I would love to see how they reconcile that character with the fact that we don't see Yeoman after the original series. And yeah. she's such a, a young girlish character in the cage. And how do you, keep that element but update her to be a professional in a professional environment i just more female characters give them to me now i will love them all <laughs> i like the red shirt on the bridge that stumbled over leland's name like she said uh, captain leland i mean control and i was yes. just like 
how does she know? <laughs> it just was just, I was like, you know, you're being a little too personal about Captain Leland here. And so I have like this whole backstory, how Leland and Pike visited each other, you know, when Pike first got his command and she was there and somehow, you know, knows them. <laughs> it's like one random stumbled line. Really. And you've like, gone that's, off. That's how, yeah, I, I, I've completely inspired by that whole thing. Because I was just like, she was too familiar. So something happened there. That's really how you fandom in a nutshell, right? Yes, that is exactly how I fandom. <laughs> I don't have anything that elaborate in my head, but I love the implication that there is a connection there and that there is more to Leland than just the interactions that we've seen and there are other people in his life and, you know, his control by control is a tragedy. Yeah, that I think that's what it is, is that she... Because the only, you know, we only saw Leland in Michael's vision and, again, he was, like, a killing machine, basically. Mm. So, he, you know, it, it was it was very cartoon villainy there, but with this one shout out to his humanity by this yes. random red shirt, I assume, I guess she's a communications officer, it like grounded his character in that, yes, this was a loss, that he's not just, you know, control didn't mm. just take over a random person, control took over someone that they know. Which I think is useful, particularly because it seems like Pike and Giorgio and Cornwell and Ash have really compartmentalised that. And they are maybe deliberately, they're professionals after all, most of them, but they're, they're compartmentalising that and deliberately not dwelling on the loss yet because they have a job to do first. Right. It made me think of how the loss of Prime Lorca is felt entirely because we know that Cat had a high opinion of him and we know Cat. Right. Right. It's that it's that little that one connection is is what drives it because no, no yeah. one else in that you know no one else knew him yeah and we didn't know him you know so it was it's, no it's, good good job I don't know your name red shirt on the bridge <laughs> you did well <laughs> she did if I ever see her in a con I'll let her know <laughs> <laughs> so you apparently have a lot of feelings about the uh enterprise and discovery docking <laughs> and just, the evacuation corridors I just, i'm just saying that that they I, I really loved the sequence the way they did it with detmer and um mm. and how they counted down and like that was cool and it was it was sort of like oh this is a, a clever idea that you know it sort of makes sense if they are going to have these whole big evacuations and stuff. And I can imagine them hooking up to star bases and stuff this yes. way. Like it, it's, it was like, okay, it's like a gangplank. I get it. It makes sense. It's like five or six gangplanks. <laughs> but the, the way that they ended, you know, they counted, again, they counted down and they did this whole thing. And then they, they were like coming into, into place and, and then it went together. And I was like, oh, here I am shipping ships. because i'm sorry that was very they were getting it on the enterprise and discovery are banging now i feel like that has been a concept the sexualization of uh ships spaceships docking in science fiction since look the first time i saw it it was arthur c Clarke, and it was one of the 2001 books so you know you're in good company exactly or bad company you're in company (laughs) but let's hope that this is not the lesbian relationship. 
Yes, Chad Sullivan said on Twitter months and months ago that we would see queer women in a relationship on Discovery <laughs> and he implied that they were people we already knew. So just want to put it out there, I'm willing to ship the ships, but this is not lesbian representation. <laughs> it's sort of like when you're sportswoman of the year as a horse. Exactly. It's like... Mm. Good try. Gold star for yeah. trying. At this point, and I have to say, there's not a lot of time left, and I would not be shocked if at some point after Sullivan tweeted that, there was, you know, a cut scene or a cut line, you know, it, it gets out of the writer's hands. Yeah. But I feel like there is time for both Owashikon and Detma and Tilly and Poe. And I have, like, I know a lot of people have been saying that Awashikon and Detma were definitely a couple, and I'm like, I can see it, but also maybe they're just friends who make eye contact. That's not really a lot of evidence. <laughs> but at the end of the docking sequence, when Awashikon pats uh, Kayla on the shoulder, that was just so familiar and comfortable that I was like, okay, yes, okay, now I can see it. Yeah, you're like, oh, okay, I'm on, I'm on board with that. I get it. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's sort of like... I mean, I can make up a relationship out of anything, but... Really? I, but they, they do, you know, it's not... We we had barely really gotten any behind-the-scenes, quote-unquote, stuff about them. You know, we didn't mm. we didn't know their inner, inner lives as individuals or in a relationship. We've been, we've been getting little tidbits, and we got, you know, we get more and more. In, in this episode, during the whole family sequence, they both get to be a part of the, the goodbye family, and so we, uh, we got some character building there. Which was great. I really, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves, but I really liked that whole sequence. And if they are a couple, I like that their goodbyes were separate, because I think Hugh and Paul are so bound up in each other that... I, I would be quite happy for another queer couple to be a little less codependent. Mm. And there's definitely in the in the party in the first season, Detmer is with somebody who's not she's with a guy. in that <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah. she's making out with a guy. Right. So it's not quite Harold they're lesbians, but maybe Harold they're bisexuals. <laughs> right. Maybe they are you know, my favorite relationship in the world, and this is why I ship Cornwell and Lorca so much, is best friends who just randomly have sex whenever they want. <laughs> but, but that's not their relationship. And so that's sort of how I would had pictured them up to this point. It's mm. more of like besties with benefits. And so, and, you know, Kayla, maybe she's a, a party girl who could, you know, has a, a lot of benefits. <laughs> Um, but maybe that you know maybe they're they're getting closer you know there's there's a lot of things that it could be relationship building that it's an old friendship but a new relationship there's different ways it could go that I would be down with yeah yeah and I, I enjoy this this period early in the shipping where you don't really know enough about the characters canonically so you can make stuff up it's very satisfying exactly I want to I want to have a quick word about costuming and makeup because okay. Giorgio turns up on Enterprise and she uh, expresses a desire to I think rip Leland apart piece by mechanical piece and I was really mm -hmm. into it but I was also really into her eye makeup like she's wearing even more eyeliner than usual she's got her vengeance eyelashes on just looked amazing and then Tilly 
and Cornwell are also wearing more eyeliner than usual. So I'm like, is is this a thing? Did a memo go around? Is it just serious business eye makeup time and Michael skipped out because she's crying at the drop of a hat right now? Honestly, I, I also noticed the eyeliner. And I'm so glad it wasn't just No, me. it wasn't just you. It, a number one had extreme eyeliner. Like, it was, you know, which is on on brand but yeah yeah she's got that whole 60s thing happening yeah it was an interesting i i i thought it was just because there were so many people in this episode there were so many people in every scene that i feel like you know all hands were on deck in the makeup department and they they just did extreme eyeliner for everybody as as part of the aesthetic is is to be mm. more dramatic or something i don't know cuz it worked for maybe me. It, oh, like, it, was, it looked fantastic. The The lighting was more dramatic. You know, everything mm. was sort of heightened, I guess is the best word, which is, which is like, not a lot, quote unquote, happened. Like, action didn't happen in this episode. No, this was they, a very... They made a decision. You know, they, they kept making decisions, but they didn't yes. do stuff. It was all based on character and relationship and just drama yes which is like my favorite stuff so I'm totally down with that but so I feel like everything was you know the production design the makeup the hair the lighting like everything was about heightened drama Mm. I'm also now wondering if maybe the eyeliner was thicker because they're on the Enterprise and it was a very subtle way of tying every all the actresses into the 60s aesthetic of the sets I would, I would, that would make me cry <laughs> if that was the reason. It's just, I know, I it's know. Just, like, because everybody notices the buttons, right? Everybody notices the red handrails. Yeah, yeah. But, but if and, they, and if they took. That's all cool. Right, yeah, it's all good too. But like, if they take that to the next level of also the makeup and the hair and, you know, do everything a little bit, you know, like not. We're all of a sudden in the 60s, but we're going to reference no, no. the 60s. Like, and no one looks dramatically different no. from how they usually do. I noticed Kat's eyeliner because I pay too much attention to Kat. And also I have very deep set eyes, so I have a lot of eye makeup envy. And that's how I noticed Tilly as well. Mm-hmm. And then I specifically went and looked at Michael and saw that she wasn't wearing it. In fact, she was wearing less than usual, and I think that's to make her look more vulnerable and younger. That's exactly what I was going to say, that she she was... It was important for her to be, uh, yeah, vulnerable or, like, off her game mm. and separate. Yes, because she's trying to do her martyr thing again, and this is an episode about her friends and her family not letting that happen. Right. Pulling her back in. Yeah, you have to do this, but you don't have to do it alone. So let's talk about the Sarek family. <laughs> so Amanda has a new cape. That's the most important thing. <laughs> I mean, okay. So Amanda, in the first scene, we all, first of all, Vulcan has a beach. That's exciting. I mean, it's like obviously Vulcan has a beach. Not there, you know, regardless of Star Wars aesthetics, no planet actually has no water and is just a desert like that doesn't really exist in reality so i what i actually one of the things i really like about this per, this particularly this season of discovery is that we have seen temperate 
parts of Vulcan. <laughs> like, yes. You know, their house was surrounded by those trees that looked like trees that grow here in Connecticut. It's then, almost as if it was filmed outside Toronto. How <laughs> crazy. And and now we've seen an ocean and so it was just like that like yay for Vulcan being a real planet now. Good job, guys. Also, like logic dictates that you're going to build your big settlements in fertile right areas with access to water. Yeah, of course like if yeah. they live in the capital city like Chikar is supposed to be the capital city of Vulcan it's yeah. not going to be in the middle of the desert like that's not realistic I mean I also I also have to believe that the family owns maybe several estates and a couple of them are in the desert and they're the ones that we've always seen in the past but you know we, we know that Sarek is basically Vulcan royalty <laughs> I mean Amanda does get to wear a crown Wandering around the I house. feel like I have this suspicion that even as a school teacher, Amanda would just show up to work in a crown and a cape. <laughs> like she was that person. She was definitely that person. And she like she was wearing her opera gloves to the beach. Like that was the I best know. part. She's like, I'm carrying whatever she was carrying. I don't know if it was food, I don't know if it was incense, whatever she was bringing, she was carrying it in her full opera length black satin gloves i was just like you are guys you are will always be my favorite like fashion but also like her hair was just in a messy braid and i have to assume this is amanda dressing down exactly she's only wearing her second best opera gloves to the beach (laughs) they're her beach gloves (laughs) like you know it's fine so that was lovely. And then when they showed up, that whole Randomly. scene. You know, like, they, they must have immediately jumped in. They're, you know, they're super, they have us head to a really fast ship. Like, I don't really know where anything is in space. No, Star Trek <laughs> has always been deliberately vague about that. And I think that's a good idea. Yeah, it's good. But they, they zoom over where, you know, they arrive. And, it, and it's great. And that whole scene just made me, like, cry a lot. Like, I, a lot of this episode was very emotional. Again, it was all about heightened feelings and, and emotions and drama. Yeah. But that scene just, like, killed me. I, I am, yes. I am completely, like, I just... Sarek, I... I love him. Apologizing? I'm, I'm, on, I'm, like, I'm speechless at, at how amazing Sarek was in this episode. Like, he had, like, four lines, but I just, you know, I was like, I would die for you. <laughs> because he, like, acknowledged that he's terrible. Like, like that's, that's it. He acknowledges that he's terrible. And yes. then when he said that he loves Spock, in, in so many words, uh, you know, even when he doesn't want him to, I was just like, I can't handle this. This is, this is approaching emotional health. Like, yes, it's like, what's happening? What is going on when the Sarek family starts acting like they might be able to heal themselves and to communicate? When Amanda tells Sarek that he's impossible and he says, I'd accept improbable, I was like, I would marry you. Exactly. Like, oh my gosh. 
So yeah, that was that was a lot. Everything about that scene was amazing. And then and like I, this, see, this is the thing. I, I it was so amazing and it was so personal for me that yes, I I was I could, like I and I tweeted this. I immediately had this absolute terror that they're going to change the timeline and it's not going to happen. It's not going to it's going to be gone. And I, I know, like, I know. And it's such a good that. depiction of an adopted family because there's no sense of competition between Michael's birth family and her various adopted parents and there's so much respect and Michael herself is so comfortable with all of them I I just you know I love timelines and I will absolutely accept a, a temporary jump into an alternate timeline but if this is permanently wiped out of the canonical timeline i will be angry yeah. i am already composing an irate letter to cbs yes exactly i'm just, just in case it was so beautiful because this scene immediately went to michael and like uh with her mother's logs and and yes. and then like in Giorgio, it was like it was all together it was all it was just so beautiful and such a strong depiction of family and all the different ways that that can be realized. Yes, it was great. And then you had Paul's message of farewell to his sibling and he's like, you always thought I was the favorite. And I feel like that is sort of Spock and Michael's relationship as well, that each thought the other was the favorite. Yes. And so yeah it was just it was it was so good that i didn't stop and think until afterwards about how weird it is that they just turned up on discovery and then went away again (laughs) when they first appeared i thought that they were just in it was like a an uh uh katra vision thing (laughs) that they weren't actually there that they were still on vulcan and having this conversation like yeah through through their mind but that didn't make sense like they were hugging and they were like and there was no there was no indication that they weren't there like they were clearly physically there but it 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 makes no sense but i was like whatever i i accept that Sarek has a super ship because he's the vulcan ambassador not only that but like they boarded the, the Discovery. They have this whole scene in Pike's ready room. I have to assume that they had a conversation with Pike where he was like, please give this message and all my logs to Starfleet Command so they know what's happening. <laughs> and like Starfleet Command is going to get this message and go, this is really weird. Should we like send help or something that's right if only we had control to tell us i forgot that like like all their communications are down so right so they have no way of telling anyone anything that's going on and so i i accept your headcanon that pike was like i'm gonna put sarah in charge of this message because you know if he's gonna show up and force himself into your evacuation plan or you know your future your, your, your yeah, crazy yeah. send send the ship away plan then you know you might as well put him to work that that's exactly it and i presume while that conversation is happening Giorgio is sidling up to amanda and going hey tell me where you get your capes <laughs> oh my god like i i need that to be a, a tiny webcomic or something <laughs> because 
that like what an amazing conversation I, I it would be you know Amanda expecting her to like threaten her or you know say that she's gonna take Michael away or something or you know mm. start something but no she just wants to know where she gets her amazing clothes it's good and then and then they bond she left a very nice gold cape behind in her universe and I'm sure she misses it and I would hope that I, I mean not the Sarah wouldn't but that Amanda at least would say hello to Spock <laughs> since they're there she, I'm sure she, she did I'm sure she swung by yeah gave him a hug and was like hey your dad's on board and Spock was like nope. I know <laughs> so do you want to see him mm, no <laughs> he felt a disturbance in the force <laughs> as if a thousand voices cried out at once and were told you're not good enough oh that's the saddest thing oh. I'm sorry <laughs> oh. Poor, poor baby Spock. Uh, so, so your next note was, can the Terran Emperor come to all my staff meetings? Just saying. They would be so I, much more fun. I don't have meetings as such in my work, but I would enjoy having her hang around behind me and propose solutions to problems that involve many, many people dying. She was because just... Because she's helping. Yeah, that's the thing is that she she was like the I have a solution I have solved the problem guys I you yeah. know where where's my commendation <laughs> and they were yeah. like yeah. that is terrible <laughs> like no stop talking it's so great because there is always that person who's like well you said there were no bad ideas and in fairness her idea is a very good one it just happens to involve the death of probably billions. <laughs> Oops. Oh well. No big deal. I think that she really was trying to help. And I think she was. You know, she was she was being expedient. It was it, it yeah. wasn't she wasn't like I want to kill billions of people. Like that wasn't her goal. Her goal no, was no. to solve the problem and it just, you know, the collateral damage would be the billions of people. And I think that tells you everything you need to know about the Terran Empire. Absolutely. And I just, I enjoy seeing her interact with people like a person, yeah. you know, whether she's uh, getting her hackles up because Poe is on board and Giorgio likes to be the only, um, you know, supreme monarch around <laughs> or, you know, I, I, I just really like Giorgio. Yeah. And I would enjoy a whole series of her critiquing the interior design of various iconic Star Trek ships. Yeah. Or why, why confine it to Star Trek? Let's have a spin-off where she just visits all the spaceships. The Millennium Falcon, the, Gal the Galactica, the Firefly. Is it Firefly? Serenity. Serenity. Is that it? Yes. Yeah, it's been a while. Anyway, you see where I'm going with this. Someone throw pots of money at me and then make it happen. Yep. And it needs to happen. Thank you. You know, there's a lot of... People are upset at the idea that, you know... some someone Upset? <laughs> Surely not. Someone so quote-unquote evil is being accepted by mm. everybody in that staff meeting. You know, they, they obviously they don't go with her plan and they tell her straight up that it's a bad plan that they would never accept. Which is really a big improvement on last year. I was just going to say. But they don't 
punish her in any way. You know, the, yeah, I just. Um, what can they realistically do to her? Well, I yeah, I I agree that they they can't they can't do anything uh, to her. They, I mean, she's she's been punished. She's stuck in our universe. Like, that's not where she wants to be. No, it's been months since she ate a person. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I I want her to continue evolving. And mm. I want her to be given that space to do it. And it doesn't make me angry. And I'm, I don't know if that makes me a bad person. But <laughs> I, I mean, look, the first character I imprinted on was Darth Vader. <laughs> and I was, like, crying earlier today when they named the last movie. I know! The Rise of Skywalker. And I was just like, Anakin. Like, I just have a lot of, um, I have a lot of feelings about Anakin Skywalker and mm, mm. and how important he is to the universe, and I just you know I have similar feelings for Giorgio and this this Giorgio you know for evil Giorgio, and again I don't if it if it makes me a bad person in some people's eyes I will accept it. Well, I feel like fandom has taken a really strong stance against being a fan of a villain and to some extent I do understand that you know I think when your whole identity in fandom revolves around over identifying with a fictional fascist that is a point where you might want to step back and go hey what am I doing and what does this say about me but at the same time sometimes the villains are really interesting and sometimes they're entertaining and like the character on Deep Space Nine that I love the most is Gul Dukat who is a deeply terrible person but also extremely convinced that he is the hero of the story and that's why I find him entertaining and interesting and fun to watch mm -hmm. and Giorgio Giorgio is sort of the same sort of character yeah I was gonna say those are my feelings for Gaius Baltar who's my favorite character in in Battlestar I, and yet you know I don't identify with Baltar or Giorgio or even Anakin like it's not that's not it. It's I, I love them. <laughs> I, I want them to become better people. Yeah, and I think <laughs> part of storytelling is if you have a villain, they do need to be complex. And I don't even think Giorgio is a villain. I think she is making a slow and reluctant journey into anti-heroism. Mm -hmm. And certainly I feel like there needs to be more to her than this if she's to lead her own series but I also think we're getting that drip by drip and that by the time the series is ready to go after season three of Discovery she'll be set so I feel like we're on a course to that mm -hmm. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna bring up Once Upon a Time again and say that Once Upon a Time should have been and it sort of was but it definitely should have been more so about the redemption of the evil queen wait it wasn't well it it, it that was the part that was most successful, I would say, but uh, they added ah. all these other people. They like right that were in because I only I watched a few episodes. It didn't really work for me, but a lot of my friends are into it, so I have sort of osmos stuff. I thought that's what the series was entirely about. Well, it, yeah, again, it was the most successful part, but mm. there, you know, like there's other stuff, and I and the that's what I want for the section thirty one I show is I want it to be about 
The evil queen redeeming herself? Yeah, the evil queen redeeming herself. And I think it could be. And if, uh, you know, I, I've said before that, that Ash is uh, the brainwashed heroine. So he, in, this, in this scenario, he would be the Snow White. And I think that's accurate in that he... He is the fairest of them all. That he's the fairest of them all. And he's like a, more of a concept... You know, he, he has to reclaim his identity. Mm. And I, I, I just, I find, I think Giorgio is an, a really complicated character. Those are the kind that I like. And as for the, the other characters not punishing her for suggesting terrible things, I feel like if this was Giorgio and Janeway, that would be Janeway's approach. But I also think it would be spectacularly unsuccessful. And I would read that fic. Exactly. And that's another, that's why I'm, I'm so into it, is because I'm going to talk about Seska again now. It happens. They never let Janeway and Seska have that conversation. They never let it, they no. never, it never happened. Like, the closest we get to Janeway forcing her Starfleet ideals onto a villain is Seven of Nine, and Seven of Nine is, was never a villain. Like, even when she was... No, introduced no. as a Borg, she was specifically to be reclaimed. You know, she was the Snow White. So we we didn't ever got that in Voyager, and I always wanted it. I wanted you know you say in in Deep Space Nine, even in Deep Space Nine, Skull Dukat doesn't get a redemption arc. <laughs> like he doesn't he doesn't become a a good guy. No, there are Cardassians within Deep Space Nine. But Garrick was never really a bad guy. Like, he was introduced as an anti-hero. And Damar is not a big enough character. No. No, I think, I think Seska is one of, dis- one of Voyager's biggest missed opportunities. We should have a whole episode about Seska. Yeah, we should. <laughs> okay. But so, like, Giorgio is, is pushing all my buttons because she is this thing that I have wanted from Star mm. Trek for literally 20 years. So I, I'm just like, ah, uh, like I, I, it's, it's so close and it's there and I can feel it. And, and, and like I've still, every time I watch the show, I, I sit there going, I cannot believe we are so lucky to have Michelle Yeoh in this series. <laughs> like I, I cannot believe that this is real and that she's really there. Because she's I know, it's amazing. It's as if Patrick Stewart, as, as famous as he is now, was doing a Star Trek. Oh, wait, that's happened. Oh, what an age we live I in. Know, like, but what? No. Okay, so we've, we've talked a lot about Giorgio, so let's move on to... <sighs> the, there are two relationships that had important conversations in this episode. Hugh and Paul and Ash and Michael. Uh, three... Also, Poe and ice cream. Well, okay. Poe and ice cream didn't really have a conversation, and they definitely didn't break up. Whereas... This is true. Hugh and, Hugh and Paul and Ash and Michael pretty much broke up. <laughs> Neither of them particularly well. I feel like they left it in a good place. I agree that they left it in a good place. And I'm not, like, angry at any of this. I just... I find myself more invested in the imaginary relationship I made up with the unnamed red shirt communications officer and the undead Captain Leland than I am (laughs) in either of these relationships. 
I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just like they especially the the Hugh and Paul scene was beautifully acted. Even if they end up deciding to get back together, say at the end of the season, I still feel like that was an important conversation for them to have because there is so much love and respect and you really feel like even if they both met other people and were never a couple again one day they would be friends yeah and once once it doesn't hurt anymore yeah and i love that yeah i i mean, I mean like, like just wilson Cruz's face is amazing and the things he can do with it and the way that anthony raps voice breaks like there it was it was beautiful and it was wonderful but i just found myself I had to force myself to watch. That is interesting. I certainly, I like all of the canonical pairings, but I wouldn't say that I go out of my way to ship them. I tend not to think about them much when they're not on the screen in front of me. Yeah. But that's how I am with most things. Like, um, unless it's the character that I am obsessed with and someone that they make eye contact with, I am happy to let it unfold on the screen. And that's how I feel about... Cat, uh, cat, Ash and Michael and yeah. uh, Hugh and Paul. And Ash and Michael is even like, it was very, very sweet when they walked away and then ran back. I know. It was super sweet. And again, also, great actors. Snooker Martin doing can sneeze, and I would give her an Emmy. But, <laughs> but I just, I was just like, I wish that that was the thing is that I was sitting there going I wish I cared more. I don't yeah. I don't know why I don't care more. I want to. That that is interesting. Do you think that there's something that could be added that would make you care more or is it just you know something beyond definition? I don't I don't know. It's not like I I never ship canon stuff. I definitely do. I have a spreadsheet about how I ship things. And one of the categories is Canon made me because sometimes <laughs> there's like, you know, on paper, Colmets wouldn't be one of my OTPs like ever. Like I, I, it's not, no. it's not, it, it just, it, there's nothing in there that, that is riling me up. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't have any of the other check boxes on my spreadsheet, but if it's if it's present like if if canon is just so compelling that even though it's not a relationship that I would normally care about I get involved in then it gets that's the one you know it gets to be put in there and those are the, mm. I think that's where it would go but it it hasn't made it onto my the fact that you have a spreadsheet is the nerdiest thing I've ever heard and I am saying this as a person who shares a Star Trek podcast with you like, I love spreadsheets, first of all. I love organizing things that, like, shipping probably shouldn't be organized, but I love to do No, no, I respect this. I just, you know, Hugh and Paul, I ship them slightly more than I do Ash and Michael. And Ash and Michael, like, I really, I, I, I love both characters in different ways and for different reasons. And I really like the way that their relationship has been presented, but... I am, I, they bore me, basically. You know, that's how I felt about uh, Riker Troy the first time I went through The Next Generation, and I only started to care about them in the last couple of years because of Cornwell and Lorca. 
and the scene in First Contact, the film, not the episode, where she's drunk and he's making fun of her. And I was like, ah, ah. And, you know, Paris Torres and most of the couples in Deep Space Nine, that's how I, that's how I feel about them. I like them, but I'm not emotionally invested. Yeah, exactly. I'm just, I'm just not, I don't have, like, yeah. the obsession, like, you know, Eric and Amanda. So, but also, you don't have to be. Yeah, and right, I don't have to be. I it's just it, they're important to the story, I guess. And so, I wish that I was more hooked no, in. No, I can see that. So we're sort of getting to the point where we need to start thinking about wrapping up. Okay. But Poe is back. We discussed that. And in the Cornwell Discord, we were talking about the age gap between her and Tilly. And why does she specifically have to be 17? Yeah, it's weird. Like, it's, it's, they've, they keep mentioning it and sort of like, what is, what is this need for her to be, like, she could, she could be a genius monarch at 19. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I just want to, you know, you don't, like, suddenly become no longer a child prodigy if, if you're not 17. Like, it's, it's strange. Even if she was 18, I just, I want to ship them. They have such great chemistry. They clearly really like each other. I really do think that there is meant to be a mutual infatuation there. But... I just, I just don't want Tilly to be with a girl who's not old enough to drink in Australia. You know, wait until she's 18, for heaven's sake. In America, she'd have to wait till 21. I know, that's very strange. But I do get carded a lot in the United States. It's very flattering. <laughs> and then we have a, a couple, the string of farewells was, the, I liked the, the ones where they were saying goodbye to their family because it was a very um, good way for giving people more you know first yes. again grounding them in a reality i mean i love the idea that paul has a brother or sister a or sibling. whatever yeah like i was i was like yes tell me more i you know <laughs> like, we have so many so many only children in star trek right. and this season is just full of siblings exactly it's so it's so again i have three brothers so it's like really yeah. it's really refreshing to me honestly the first thought that came to my mind was how do I audition to be Paul's sister? <laughs> like, like I, would, I, I can play that. <laughs> I'm ready. I will say, although I think Discovery's depiction of sibling relationships has been really, really good this season, the, the bit where Saru is saying goodbye to his sister, I almost tweeted, if any of my siblings ever address me as sweet sister, I will hunt them down and murder them. And if my brother is listening to this podcast, that is a threat. It is a threat and a promise. Do not ever address me as sweet sister. It's like something out of Game of Thrones. It's exactly something out of Game of Thrones, and they don't have a very good relationship. <laughs> like, that's not a relationship you want to emulate. So, Kelpians, we're side-eyeing you. <laughs> but everything else was great, and it was the sort of organic character development that we were uh, complaining about not getting early this season. yeah. And also, I like the way that they bled into each other because it was sort of yes. the the implication was that they're all connected. That that you know, like Michael's story is everyone's story in a way. Well, that's what happens when she's the main character. <laughs> but but that but it was like you know it was it was saying that all of these people matter, 
everybody yeah. in her circle. And then, you know, with it, the earlier scene with where they did like an intervention <laughs> with Michael and was like, just kidding, you're, you're not going by yourself. <laughs> we, we aren't going to let you. Like, yeah, we need to talk about your self-sacrifice. Like, it's hilarious to think of it as her addiction, which, but it's absolutely true. Like, it is 100% an accurate portrayal of Michael's issues. I'm really sad that we didn't get the scene where they all decided to stay, because I feel like maybe I would have finally gotten Spock interacting with Tilly, which hasn't happened yet, I and I live in hope. And you know what? There, there's... That one episode of uh, of Voyager where they find Amelia Earhart, and then, and then they're like, uh, if you want to stay on the planet, you know, be in the cargo bay at oh eight hundred yes. hours or whatever. And then you know they go to the cargo bay and they're like, you know, guessing who's gonna be there. But they open up and it's like nobody's there, empty. And I'm like, you know what? Like one or two people showed up and realized that no one else was there and we're like I guess I'm stuck on Voyager <laughs> and I feel like that happened again in this episode where like Pike at one point says anybody who wants to you get off on the Enterprise you know now's your now's your time because we're gonna split up and I was like I just know that there's like those those like handful of people who really want to cross over to Enterprise but <laughs> like can't there's too much peer pressure on them to stay I just, I feel badly for those people in both cases. I don't, because I am absolutely that jerk who would struggle for a moment and then go, uh, actually, I'm just going to go, I'm going to stay on the planet with Amelia Earhart. I'm going to stay on Enterprise in this time zone. I, I'm just, sorry, not for me. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah, that... I'm very good at saying no to peer pressure. That was... <laughs> That was another thing is that they he they uh, definitely said that it was like any I don't remember who said it but anybody who signs up for Starfleet this is what they should expect and I was like that was Saru good they're doing it again they're they're defining Starfleet for me I'm just so proud of them for fixing my issues with the end of last season yes but next week is the finale and we might have new issues exactly because the penultimate episode of last season was my favorite was great so i i and then i was disappointed in the end and and uh this uh there's some weird expanse stuff going on (laughs) next next week so we'll see how that goes Given that they have Spock and he's kind of integral to the rest of the 23rd century, I don't think Discovery is going to be making a one-way trip into the future. Yeah. Like, just putting that out there. But, like, what... I mean, you know how Ash is, like, not going with them, but then he has a secret mission where he's like, hey, Pike, let me do this secret thing? Like, I'm... He's like, I have to make sure that something like Control never happens again. Yeah. And I was like, okay, smash cut to the 24th century where elderly Ash is turning down Dr. Sung's request for funding. <laughs> and and that's, that's the rest of his life. <laughs> Working for, for grants? Yes. Deny, yes. Denying just... uh, AI? That's, that's an interesting. Uh, I'm just, I'm concerned that there's going to be some weird... Ash ends up on Discovery and Spock doesn't thing happening. Mm, I feel I'm going to stick with my temporary jump into a new time zone, timeline theory for now. Mostly because I kind of want to write fic about that timeline so I really hope it happens. Okay, I'm like, gonna... I, I'm, Canon is going to laugh at me and leave me all on my own, but 
I'm comfortable That's with okay. that. I'm used to it now. Can laughs yeah. at me all the time. But, but you're right that, like, Spock and Giorgio are currently on the voyage of the damned to the future. And yeah. they're supposed to be somewhere else. So, so something is going to happen. Yes. So I'm curious, but also nervous. And then finally, let's talk about how Giorgio randomly admits that she's Taryn. And Pike is like, cool, wink. I just, you know, for weeks I've been saying there's got to be some kind of reckoning where he finds out and confronts Kat about this terrible deception. Because I really do think that in putting Giorgio in her counterpart's place, Kat is replicating what Lorca did to the Federation and to his crew. And Pike's just like, yep, cool. And so I have to assume that he has already had that discussion and has made his peace with this situation and I guess it's maybe better than thinking that his old friend has turned into this incredibly ruthless person. Mm. So (laughs) two things. Uh, First of all I just I really enjoyed how it was like it was so random that she just sort of blurted it out like I guess she was like this is the last time I'm gonna see you because we're going to the future. And so I'm... I have to get in one last opportunity to troll you. So so it, it sort of made sense, sense on, that, on, on that way. And I really enjoyed his response because it was sort of like, yeah, I, I, I knew that and I don't care. And ha, I'm not gonna... Like, he was surprising her, I guess. Is, and so I, I enjoyed yes. that he was surprising her. And she clearly enjoyed being surprised. <laughs> yeah, she... Like, she does something with her mouth that's rather distracting and remarkable. Right. So then part two is that, again, this is all I need to be totally on board with. <laughs> they had a thing during this episode. <laughs> like, I, I, they've, been, they've been, you know, do, doing the frenemies thing all season. And then I don't know what happened, but she was feeling like weird because Poe was one-upping her and Michael you know she's gonna lose Michael and she doesn't like all these feelings she's feeling and so she like went to to Pike and like surprised him with wine or something and and they had an amazing evening (laughs) then so then she admits that she's from the mirror universe and he was like yeah I figured that out (laughs) because that would never have happened with the short (laughs) show I know but I was I was trolling you and playing along because my, I just found out that my life is gonna end and you know might as well have some fun while I still have a body. <laughs> so there's another wow. exciting. You just ruined the mood. <laughs> I'm just I, I they they both were acting like people who needed a little desperation sex. I can see that. I'm saying. Yes, I don't. I don't love the idea because I was so angry about the the Lorca deceiving Cornwell thing, and I feel like even if he has figured it out, like this should be discussed. But I like the idea that now they can suddenly the air has been cleared, and suddenly they realise they're very interested in each other, and it's just rather unfortunate that she is about to head to the future forever. Yep. Where I assume she is going to take over the galaxy because. Well, a girl needs a hobby. There was also a moment that it seems to me like she was 
contemplating just to pull it, you know, how uh, how Gabrielle told her that mm. she would sacrifice herself for Michael. And I, I, there was a moment which I felt like she was considering being like, I'm going to steal the suit and sacrifice myself so that Michael doesn't have to. Yes, and I'm sure that if it wasn't genetically coded to only work for Michael, she, she would have made the attempt. Yeah. Which, thank God she didn't have to because it's so embarrassing when you're caught trying to do something desperately altruistic. People might start to think you're a good person. We can't have that. We oh, really can't. One more thing. Uh, they yes. say that that no one knows where Poe is. And I'm just... <laughs> that is great. Like, I love that she is going to also, you know, stow away on the voyage of the damned to the future. <laughs> like, you go a secret monarch by astrophysicist girl. Okay, should we wrap okay. up? Okay. Thank you for listening to Antimatter Pod. You can find our show notes at antimatterpod.tumblr.com, including links to our social media and credits for our theme music. You can also follow us on Twitter at at antimatterpod. Sometimes we post cat pictures. If you like us, leave an iTunes review. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week for the season finale of Star Trek Discovery. Too sweet, too sorry. No, too. I don't know. Oh, yeah. This is hard.